A Consecrated Ministry, Part 2, by Ellen G. White. Editorial Notes This is the second of a three-part series featuring A Consecrated Ministry, Chapter 34, from the Acts of the Apostles by Ellen G. White. While the author clearly had Seventh-day Adventist pastors in view when she wrote this chapter, the fact that it was included in a volume with an intended broad audience makes it readily apparent that Ellen White, her editors and advisors, clearly saw that this chapter has important applications for all disciples of Jesus, particularly elders, deacons, and deaconesses. This chapter highlights the value of a soul, provides valuable counsel about the priorities of life and ministry, and inspires all readers to consecrated, selfless service. It has been reprinted with the permission of the Ellen G. White estate. He who teaches the word must himself live in conscious, hourly communion with God through prayer and a study of his word, for here is the source of strength. Communion with God will impart to the minister's efforts a power greater than the influence of his preaching. Of this power, he must not allow himself to be deprived. With an earnestness that cannot be denied, he must plead with God to strengthen and fortify him for duty and trial, and to touch his lips with living fire. All too slight is the hold that Christ's ambassadors often have upon eternal realities. If men will walk with God, he will hide them in the cleft of the rock. Thus hidden, they can see God even as Moses saw him. By the power and light that he imparts, they can comprehend more and accomplish more than their finite judgment had deemed possible. Satan's craft is most successfully used against those who are depressed. When discouragement threatens to overwhelm the minister, let him spread out before God his necessities. It was when the heavens were as brass over Paul that he trusted most fully in God. More than most men, he knew the meaning of affliction, but listened to his triumphant cry as, beset by temptation and conflict, his feet pressed heavenward. Quote, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Paul's eyes were ever fastened on the unseen and eternal. Realizing that he was fighting against supernatural powers, he placed his dependence on God, and in this lay his strength. It is by seeing him who is invisible that strength and vigor of soul are gained, and the power of earth over mind and character is broken.
a pastor should mingle freely with the people for whom he labors, that by becoming acquainted with them he may know how to adapt his teaching to their needs. When a minister has preached a sermon, his work has but just begun. There is personal work for him to do. He should visit the people in their homes, talking and praying with them in earnestness and humility. They are families who will never be reached by the truths of God's word unless the stewards of his grace enter their homes and point them to the higher way. But the hearts of those who do this work must throb in unison with the heart of Christ. Much is comprehended in the command, quote, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. End quote. Let ministers teach the truth in families, drawing close to those for whom they labor, and as they thus cooperate with God, He will clothe them with spiritual power. Christ will guide them in their work, giving them words to speak that will sink deep into the hearts of the listeners. It is the privilege of every minister to be able to say with Paul, quote, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, end quote. Quote, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. The Saviour went from house to house, healing the sick, comforting the mourners, soothing the afflicted, speaking peace to the disconsolate. He took the little children in his arms and blessed them, and spoke words of hope and comfort to the weary mothers. With unfailing tenderness and gentleness, he met every form of human woe and affliction. Not for himself, but for others did he labor. He was the servant of all. It was his meat and drink to bring hope and strength to all with whom he came in contact. And as men and women listened to the truths that fell from his lips, so different from the traditions and dogmas taught by the rabbis, hope sprang up in their hearts. In his teaching, there was an earnestness that sent his words home with convicting power. God's ministers are to learn Christ's method of laboring, that they may bring from the storehouse of his word that which will supply the spiritual needs of those for whom they labor. Thus only can they fulfill their trust. The same Spirit that dwelt in Christ as he imparted the instruction he was constantly receiving is to be the source of their knowledge and the secret of their power in carrying on the Savior's work in the world. Some who have labored in the ministry have failed of attaining success because they have not given their undivided interest to the Lord's work. 
Ministers should have no engrossing interests aside from the great work of leading souls to the Saviour. The fishermen whom Christ called straightway left their nets and followed him. Ministers cannot do acceptable work for God and at the same time carry the burden of large personal business enterprises. Such a division of interests dims their spiritual perception. The mind and heart are occupied with earthly things, and the service of Christ takes a second place. They seek to shape their work for God by their circumstances instead of shaping circumstances to meet the demands of God. The energies of the minister are all needed for his high calling. His best powers belong to God. He should not engage in speculation or in any other business that would turn him aside from his great work. Quote, no man that warreth, Paul declared, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. End quote. Thus the apostle emphasized the minister's need of unreserved consecration to the master's service. The minister who is wholly consecrated to God refuses to engage in business that would hinder him from giving himself fully to his sacred calling. He is not striving for earthly honor or riches. His one purpose is to tell others of the Savior who gave himself to bring to human beings the riches of eternal life. His highest desire is not to lay up treasure in this world, but to bring to the attention of the indifferent and the disloyal the realities of eternity. He may be asked to engage in enterprises which promise large worldly gain, but to such temptations he returns the answer, quote, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? End quote. Satan presented his inducement to Christ, knowing that if he accepted it, the world would never be ransomed. And under different guises, he presented the same temptation to God's ministers today knowing that those who are beguiled by it will be false to their trust. It is not God's will that his ministers should seek to be rich. Regarding this, Paul wrote to Timothy, quote, The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. End quote. By example as well as by precept, the ambassador for Christ is to quote, charge them that they are rich in this world, that they be not high minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, 
that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. End quote. For bibliographical and biblical references on this article, and for much more content for elders and church leaders, please visit eldersdigest.org.